0: So looking at Galatians 5 and 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. How many of you can relate to that last part? So that you do not do the things that you wish to do. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, those are sexual sins, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness and revelries and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things, those who, get, who practice habitually, those whose lives are marked and governed by these works of the flesh, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so tonight we're just going to talk about the first segment of this portion of scripture and what it has what it has to do with walking in the Spirit. So walking in the Spirit here tonight, let's pray. Lord, I thank You for Your Word that is divinely inspired and it has life. It is life and it can transform for any person who would come and bow down before the authoritative Word of God. It is life that can speak into us and change us and form us into conformity to Your Son, Jesus Christ. So do that here tonight. Let there be an absolute abandonment of any affection for the works of the flesh, any, anything that the lust of our flesh, that our flesh may, may have, be having way in our lives, may it be completely, we be completely delivered from it here tonight, God. Help us, Lord, to be controlled and filled with your Spirit, and not our own emotions, not our flesh, but controlled by your Spirit here tonight in Jesus name I pray. Amen. And amen. If you look at verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. This specific verse and truly this whole portion of scripture in Galatians chapter 5 really does not make a lot of sense unless you read it in view of the entirety of the epistle of Galatians. It really doesn't make sense. Um if you're trying to interpret that that verse or interpret the whole portion of Scripture that we read. And so the book of Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul in about 55 to 56 A.D. And he's writing this letter. Unlike any other letter he wrote, this letter is written to a group of churches. Every other letter he wrote, he wrote to a specific church. But there was no town of Galatia. Galatia was a region. It was a larger region that had many cities within it. And he's writing this letter to multiple churches. Some of the cities that are included in that region of Galatia, and you'll recognize this if you read the book of Acts, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe were cities that were in the region of Galatia. The region of Galatia was in the northeastern portion of Asia Minor of the Roman Empire. And That is his audience. That's who he's writing to. It's multiple churches. It's not just one distinct church. And so the issues that he's describing and and the things that he's addressing doctrinally apply to multiple churches, not just one. So we see the things that he's addressing, the problems that he's addressing is more widespread than just one congregation. It had a tendency to spread, and it was spreading to other groups. And so it was, he is writing to all the churches in Galatia so that this letter could be dispersed through, to all of them. And the occasion for him to write the book of Galatians. And it's very important to understand why he's writing this. The, the, the reason he's writing it and to understand the theme of Galatians, to really understand what we just read The reason he is writing this book to the people of Galatia is because there were certain Jewish legalists, Judaizers, who were teaching others that faith in Jesus Christ, faith alone, is not sufficient enough for salvation. Okay? They did not deny faith in Christ was necessary for salvation. They did not deny the deity of Christ. They did not deny that Jesus was a real person who lived who was the Son of God, who died and rose again and is seated at the right hand of God. They didn't deny any of those things. But they surmised and they taught and they were spreading this false doctrine that salvation in Jesus by faith is not enough for your justification. you got, you still got to add some things to do with the law. And primarily one of the things, uh, aspects of the law that you see is Circumcision. If you want to be justified before God, if you want real salvation, yes, it's through Jesus, but also circumcision, also works of the law, also this, also this. But we know from Ephesians chapter 2 that it's by grace are you saved through faith. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone that we are saved. It is not, we're not justified. We do not stand justified before God because of your works. And these Judaizers were spreading spreading the false doctrine that you also need to add to the work of the cross. That what Jesus did upon the cross and the, the efficacy of his blood is not enough. It's not sufficient. And you gotta add, still add aspects of the law. And so when you read, Chapters one through four, leading up to chapter five, it makes a whole lot more sense when you read chapter five, and when you when you try to real, what is the difference between walking in the spirit and living in the spirit? What does he mean by that? And it makes sense in light of what he's trying to bring across in the entire book. The prevailing theme is this: justification by faith. Justification by faith. And I would encourage every, every person in here, especially those of us who, who always feel like you have this burden upon you that you're not doing enough to garner God's satisfaction, it would be such a good thing for you to read through the book of Galatians. To read through Galatians and, and, and really to even read uh, the first portion of, of Romans. Romans. Martin Luther, he came to the realization that it's not by works or by the Roman church that I am saved. It is, I'm justified by faith. And he rediscovered the word of God in Germany, which caused the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. And so, like most of Paul's letters, the first half deals with doctrinal issues. It's doctrinal. It's, it's teaching. It's it's setting the ground for or foundation for particular teachings and instruction and addressing particular issues and speaking to that. That's usually how Paul's letters were. The first half was doctrinal instruction. And the second half of Paul's letters were usually how do I apply that to my life? Personal application. What is this doctrine, this teaching, what does it look like applied to my life? And that's the usual flow for Paul in the epistles. There's a little extra added section in this epistle. In chapters one through two, the first section, he spends his time um, defending himself and defending the true gospel that he had declared, the true gospel. That, so turn back to chapter one. I'm not going to read a bunch of stuff, just kind of cherry-pick a few things so you can get a good understanding. And if you look at 1 and 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. To a different gospel. So in this first section, he's trying to reiterate to them, you now have fallen for a completely different gospel. And if you recall later on, he says, For I tell you that even if I or an angel comes back and preaches a different gospel than, than what we first delivered to you, do not believe them. But you have Galatians, people of Galatia. You have fallen for the trick of the enemy. You have fallen, and furthermore, these false teachers were trying to um, delegitimize the, the apostolic authority of Paul, and they were trying to make him less and uh, more inferior to other apostles like Peter and James, and they they were trying to discount his teachings and the authority of what he taught. Uh, taught. And so that's why you see here in uh, uh, chapter two, verse seven, he says, but on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the circumcision had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcision was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And with James and Cephas, that is Peter and John, who perceived to be pillars, perceived The grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Paul is having to defend himself. He's trying to defend the gospel that he delivered. He's trying to to defend his apostolic authority. And he's saying, I am also an an apostolic individual in the first century church, just like James and Peter and John. I have apostolic authority. And so that's what he does in chapters 1 through 2. And then chapters 3 and 4, he talks about doctrinal issues. And this it's just beautifully, magnificently done, how that he pulls down the argument of these Judaizers and how that he provides the sufficiency of the cross, the sufficiency of Jesus, justification by faith. And I would really encourage all of us, to read through Galatians once more with that understanding, justification by faith, the sufficiency of Jesus. We don't add to it. We don't add to it. And so the prevailing theme, justification by faith, plays into our Scripture. So if you look at chapter 5, verse 16... And, and, and in previous chapters, he talks about the two covenants, the Old Testament the New Testament. And he makes an illustration with Hagar, with Sarah, with Ishmael and Isaac. And he talks about how that, the law represents that which was given at Sinai. And, and the, 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 the bondwoman, Hagar, she was uh, the bondwoman who was under bondage. And she gave birth to the son who was of the flesh, that is, Ishmael. And Abraham, in the actions of his flesh, not trusting God in that moment, he gave himself to, to, to Hagar to have a son and had Ishmael. And, and Ishmael was contrary to Isaac in that on the day that Isaac was weaned, um, he was mocking and that they had to uh, cast them out from the family. So Abraham cast out Hagar and Isaac. Uh, Ishmael from the family and they went and they, they set their own uh, people and, and the people of Arabia, the Arabs descend from Ishmael and, and they, they settled in the area of Mount Sinai. And you can read about that in, in uh, I think it's chapter three, but he talks about how that Ishmael was contrary to Isaac and there was the old covenant and the new covenant. And so look here at chapter five. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He has already established that you are not justified by your works. You can never do enough to earn God's merit. It's by faith alone. Through the grace of God, but that he, that he provides in Jesus alone, and you stand justified before God. It's not because of your works, and the law could only could only point you to your guiltiness. And it could only, the, intendedness, the intended usefulness of the law was ultimately to show that you were guilty and then to lead us. The Bible says here that it became our tutor. It was leading us to Christ. It was leading us to the new covenant. It was guiding us and a guard over us and was preserving us until the Messiah would come, the seed of Abraham. The seed of faith. And if we're going to be sons and daughters of Abraham, it's by faith. And so it is the the, the the by grace and by faith by which we stand justified before God, not by the works of the law. And furthermore, the law could do nothing to deliver you from the power of your carnal nature. The law could do nothing to give you deliverance over lust, over covetousness, over jealousy. Over addiction. The law could do nothing to deliver you. It could do nothing. It had no power. The only power it had had was to prove you guilty. To prove you guilty. To prove you guilty. And so we look here at our scripture, and we see now the practical application of, what does it mean now that I'm under the new covenant? Not only does it mean that I'm justified by faith, but now through faith comes the Spirit of God. Through faith now, the Spirit of God comes and dwells within me. And you can see this. Let me, let me backtrack a little bit because it's very important. If you see here at, at chapter 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might be, receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit "...of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, because you are under faith, not under law, because it's by grace, because it's in Jesus, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That now you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you through faith in Jesus Christ." There was a prophecy in the Old Testament of how the Lord was going to put the law into men's hearts. And not just outwardly, but he's going to put it into their hearts. And he was going to exchange a heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And that happened. That happened when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And he was glorified. And he sent his Holy Spirit down to regenerate us and now to deliver us from sin. The work of the cross is not just to justify me judicially before the bar of God, but also to deliver me currently from the dominion of the flesh, of the devil, and of the world. And if you are still under law, there is no power over the lust of the flesh. Because you're still under bondage. You're still in the bondage. The law can do nothing. There's no power in the law. The law is perfect. It is good. It is holy. But there's no power in it. Power came through Jesus Christ, born of a woman. Now faith in him gives me the spirit of God. And now, and now it translates to a transformed life, lifestyle, fruit of my life, and a Christ-like nature that I now can walk on earth with. That the world will see. I will be identified with the person of Jesus Christ because I have been regenerated from the inside out by power of the Holy Spirit. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Let me just start with the latter part of that verse Lust of the flesh. What is that? What does lust mean? Oftentimes, we associate lust with a sexual sin, and that's true. But at its primary definition, lust is unbridled desire or passion. It is craving for what is forbidden. You can have a lust for money, a lust for fame, a lust for a woman or a man. You can have lust for anything which is forbidden, and usually it has to do with unbridled desire and passion, strong desire. And he's saying that lust, its origins is the flesh. It is the flesh. And the flesh is, it is the mind, the will and emotions which makes up our entire human being, humanness, which are all subject to sin. It is our unredeemed humanness. That is what our flesh is. It is the carnal inbred tendencies of fallen humankind. You are born in sin and iniquity. You were born to bondage under sin, bondage of your flesh, and your flesh has its rule and reign in your life. The moment that Adam and Eve sinned against God, their spirit fell in subjection to their flesh, their carnal nature. Adam and Eve are our parents, and that same carnal nature has been passed down generation to generation. And our flesh now rules and dominates and governs the unbeliever. It is the flesh that rules and reigns. It is sin that rules and reigns in the unbeliever. And there is no power on this earth that can deliver anyone from their flesh, from their own flesh. And that's why, if you remember, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, Do you, intending to start in the Spirit, think you're going to be perfected by the law? You were delivered from sin. You were saved and justified in the Spirit. How in the world do you think you can be perfected, sanctified, and be completed by works of the law? You are foolish. You've been bewitched. You cannot be perfected by your own works. It's the work of the Spirit. So the lust of the flesh... As Jack Hayford says, our flesh desires to be ratified, gratified, and satisfied. I like the way he put it. Our carnal nature, our inbred tendencies of our fallen human nature, it wants to be ratified. That is, it wants to be sanctioned or confirmed. It wants to be given approval and entrance into our lives. It wants legitimacy, it wants rule and reign, it wants to enter into our lives. Furthermore, it always wants to be gratified, because it's lust of the flesh. It is craving and strong desire and passion that is unbridled, and it wants to be gratified. It wants to be pleased or pleasured. It wants to be submitted to or given to. The itch needs to be scratched. It needs to be gratified. And the flesh will just reach out and have the feelers out and grasp at anything that will bring gratification and pleasure. Though it's, it's pleasurable for a season, it's only a season. It is pleasurable, but for a season. But it leads to eventual destruction and death. And then it wants to be satisfied. Once it's pleased, once that, that little itch is scratched, it doesn't stop there. It wants more, it wants more, it wants more. Your flesh wants more, it wants more. And this is why you can have an Adolf Hitler in the world. This is why you can have a serial killer. This is why you can have all the works of the flesh because the flesh wants more and more and more and more. There's no stop to it. And so it wants to be satisfied. That is, it wants to be satiated or filled full or maximized. It always wants more and more. And truly, it's never satisfied. Never satisfied. And so that's why we continually turn to drugs, to sex, to alcohol, to money, to the approval of others. We turn to everything else because there's this continuous desire within us that's always yearning to be pleased and gratified and satiated, but it always leaves you empty, doesn't it? Always. And furthermore, not just empty, but then it leads to turmoil and destruction in your life when the lust of the flesh has its way. And none of us has, our, has power in ourselves to regulate or overcome the desires of the lust of the flesh. So how do you overcome the lust of the flesh? He says it here. Walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. That word walk, walk in the Greek, it indicates continuous action or habitual lifestyle. The word walk also indicates or implies forward progress. Walk In the Spirit. Be walking in the Spirit. Continue walking in the Spirit. Continuous action, habitual lifestyle. And and we just read from Galatians chapter 4 that when I, through faith in Jesus Christ, I am adopted as a co-heir with Christ. I am adopted, and now my spirit cries out, Abba, Father. Every single believer has that privilege. Every single believer has that privilege. And then we're further equipped by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That we see in the day of Pentecost to equip us, to give us power, to be a witness, to spread the gospel, to give us greater power, to represent Christ. But every single believer has been adopted into the family of God, and you have the Spirit of God within you. So to walk in the Spirit means rather than rather than On the other hand, giving myself over and yielding to the lust of my flesh, I now, by the Spirit's enabling power through simply through faith, I now yield, continually yield, and give myself over to the work of the Spirit. Continuously, continuously, yielding up, yielding up, giving myself, feeding my Spirit, depriving my flesh. That's walking in the Spirit. And look here. For the, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. I look forward to the day. I think more than anything, this is honestly me saying this, more than anything when we, we finally make it to heaven, whether if I die or raptured, whatever it may be, one of the greatest reliefs I will have is that I will not have to fight against my flesh anymore. The greatest enemy is the man who looks in the mirror every single morning. It is Stephen's flesh. And more than the streets of gold and and the people, first and foremost, I'll be elated to see Jesus, most of all. And then I will suddenly say, I will say, I am finally free from the warring of the fight against my flesh. And my very presence there means that I have ultimately prevailed, but been ultimately glorified, ultimately sanctified, and been rewarded for a lifetime of fighting the flesh, not yielding to the flesh, but yielding to the Spirit of God. So they oppose one another, your spirit and your flesh. But if you are led by the Spirit, verse 18, you are not under law. So the spirit and the law are contrary to one another. The spirit and the flesh are contrary to one another. If you are under the law, there's no power. But if you are a child of faith, a son or daughter of Abraham, a person of faith, you have the spirit, you're led by the spirit, you're no longer the law. They're mutually exclusive. So even today, there are people who want to add works to the work of Christ. And that's called legalism, correct? Legalism. People who want to say, if you don't do enough, give enough, pray enough, whatever enough, you're not going to make it into heaven. Now, there, there, there's, there's something I'll explain here in a little while. Because there is a striving on our part. There, there is an active mortification of our flesh that is necessary. But anything I do, okay, to die to self, to give myself unto the Lord, it's not for my justification. Anything I, in how that I submit myself in the disciplines of Christian living, it's, not, it's never to be justified. Never to be justified. It's to be sanctified. It's to become more and more like Christ. I'll get to that a little more later. So, The way that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh, which causes us to do the things that we don't, which causes turmoil and destruction and heartache in our lives, it is to walk in the Spirit, continually give ourselves over, to yield to, to walk in the Spirit continuously and progressively. That's done by continually believing and obeying and loving the Lord, giving myself to the things of God. And how do we walk in the spirit? That's what it means. How, how do I walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh? Because there may be some people here today, I have this besetting sin. I have this thing that I continually deal with. I have this thing that I, I can't overcome. And, and you're not backslidden and you're not rebelling against God, but there's something in your life. There's something in your life that, that, that you really need the Lord to, to help you with. And I'm not making any, any, I'm not making any justification for sin. But the fact of the matter is that none of us here are perfect yet. We are being perfected, we know that. We're being sanctified daily. But all of us, all of us need the grace of God every single waking moment, every single sleeping moment. You need the grace of God. You're never so holy and mighty and good and great that you don't need the grace of God. That is what sustains you. That is what saves you. That's where everything flows. That's where his power flows from his grace. So how do we walk in the spirit? And there is wonderful, wonderful instruction and teaching that we find in the book of Romans. Go to Romans chapter 6. And this will coincide with Paul's teachings in Galatians. Romans 6. Romans 6. What I present to you, how to do this, is not exhaustive. You could have a study on this for weeks. But just want to bring to light some of the things that Paul taught in Romans that has to do with our flesh and with the Spirit. And so first and foremost, how do I walk in the Spirit? How do I overcome the works of the flesh, the lust of the flesh? How do I not give in? How do I not do the things that I don't want to do? Okay? Chapter 6, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. There is freedom from sin and power over sin when we are under the law of grace not under the law of the Old Testament, when it's the new covenant of grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So here it is. What are you presenting yourself to? What are you giving yourself to? What are you giving your thoughts to? What are you giving your ears to? What are you giving your eyes to? Nobody forces you to pick up your phone and go to a website. Nobody forces you to go to a particular movie. Nobody forces you to open your mouth. Now, as a Christian, you have power to deny the work of the flesh. But you have to willfully, on your part, present yourself As a living sacrifice, present yourself as an instrument of God, your members to God, and then he will do the work. He will do the work. Look here at 17. And he's talking about obedience there in the last part of 16, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. That there is a personal responsibility for us by the power of the Spirit that's been granted to us by faith in this new covenant, I now have the power to obey. It's not a freedom to sin. It's a freedom from sin. That's what grace gives me. But God thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine in which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Few more verses. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Remember this: garbage in, garbage out. Garbage in, garbage out. What you feed will thrive. You feed your spirit, man, it will live. You deprive your flesh of its lusts, it will die. It will lose governance in your life, day by day. And all of us are at different levels of sanctification, different levels of being controlled and led by the Holy Spirit. But it's dependent upon us, by his helping, what he grants to us as a child of God, now adopted into the family of God, I now have the Spirit dwelling within me. And he yearns to do what is right before and pleasing to the Lord. And he needs my submission, my surrender. We're, we, are, we, are, we have a free will still. And I submit it to him, and I give it to him, and I deprive my flesh. I crucify, I mortify my flesh. I deprive it of what it wants by the Spirit of God, and I feed, I feed the Spirit. You have a choice. Will I pick up my phone and watch Facebook, or will I pick up my Bible? That's it right there. That's walking in the Spirit. That's lending yourself to obeying and increasing the strength of your spirit, man, and depriving the flesh of what it desires. It's decisions like that on a daily basis. What I listen to on the radio, Fox News is okay, but is it doing anything to encourage your spirit? No. It could be morally neutral on its face, but, but could be depriving your spirit of what it needs to be victorious. So give yourself to preaching, to teaching, to worship music, whatever it may be, something to feed your spirit man. To free, feed your spirit man. I have one dog at home, and it's one dog too many. I, 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 this is a serious statement. If anybody said, I want your dog, I would without a bl- eye blink say, you can have him. I mean, I like dogs more than cats, but I don't, I mean, it's an animal. It's not my child. But for some people, that's how they see it. It's just I'm not a big dog person. He's destroyed my backyard multiple times, and he gets out all the time, but whatever. So, but imagine I had another dog. Imagine uh, Kristen and Hunter's dog, Pepper, came over, and we're dog-sitting. And and I got to feed both dogs if they're going to survive. And I can feed Pepper and deprive Ranger, of the nutrients he needs, I, I, I can I can give him some other things like I don't know some candy. <laughs> don't give him chocolate. <laughs> I can give him things that may seem satiating for a moment, but there's no minerals or vitamins or any really nourishment with those things. And I can deprive one dog of what it needs. And feed the other. And in a week's time, a month's time, which dog is going to be standing? The one I fed. Now that's maybe a crude, off-the-cuff illustration. But it's what are you feeding? What are you feeding? What are you depriving? What are you presenting? What are you presenting? And so... We see that in Romans 6. Now go over to Romans chapter 8, chapter, uh, verse 9. Now, if you recall chapter 7, he talks about, I do the things that I don't want to do, and I can't do the things I want to do, and it goes on and on and on. And, and, and look at uh, ch- verse 24 of chapter 7. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through the law. No, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Look here at verse 9, 8 and 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in you. Think about that. That is power. That is might. That's deliverance. If that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You, let me continue on. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Because you're depriving your spirit. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. The law is bondage. The law was perfect, it was holy, but it had no power to deliver. It condemned you and found you guilty at the judgment seat of God. Bondage again to fear. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The two places where Paul talks about adoption and the spirit of God making us sons of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I am a co-heir with my Lord Jesus Christ. And if I I am a co-heir, I am a co-heir as a son or daughter of faith. And through that faith, I am given the Spirit of God. And I'm given power and dominion over my flesh. Over my flesh. Let me end right here. So our, our role in sanctification, the word sanctification means set apart. And there is there a past, present, and future sanctification, if you will. In that on the day that I placed my faith in Christ, I was sanctified immediately. I was set apart and placed into the family of God. I was justified. Stand perfect before God, justified by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There is a present sanctification, that is this warring against our flesh and this daily dying to self and giving myself to the Lord and presenting myself on a daily basis and allowing him to speak to me and move through me and be submissive to him. And then there will be a future sanctification that I mentioned earlier where we will be free from sin. And we will be perfectly sanctified. That is set apart from the bondage of this earth and of sin, of the world and of the devil. But currently now there is a passive and an active sanctification. There is this passive sanctification that it's this understanding, ultimately it's not my work. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to do this. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, if you have a spouse or a family member or somebody you want to see saved, you can't save them. We know that. And you can never do enough, say enough to change our heart. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to do that. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the one who transforms and conforms you to the nature of Jesus Christ. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It is a supernatural occurrence that happens. It's not a work of human hands. It's not a work of human hands. And so, there is this... Passive sanctification, that is the yielding to the Holy Spirit. Because it's God's will that we be sanctified. And then there is this active sanctification, if you will, this personal responsibility that we have, that even each of us should learn how to control our bodies, the Bible says, that we should exercise ourselves in godliness. That we should strive for holiness, as Hebrews 12, 14 says. That we should flee immorality, as 1 Corinthians six eighteen says. That we, should, we are cleansing ourselves from every defilement, as 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says. Making every effort to supplement our faith, as 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11 says. There's a personal responsibility on our part. And I mentioned Sunday that there are some who, who, will, who will say that your act of sanctification is legalism. That if if I present to anyone a standard that you crucify your flesh, you deprive and you feed, you mortify the works of the flesh in your body, you pick up your Bible, you pray, that's legalism because that's a work of your flesh. No, because as I do that, It's the Holy Spirit who is doing the work, ultimately. But he doesn't make me a robot, does he? He doesn't force you to do anything. In the same way that nobody forced my wife to love me, and nobody first forces her to hug and kiss me now, the Lord doesn't force you to do anything. But there is the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you that gives you the capacity to be pleasing and obedient to him. And that's the difference between difference between discipline and legalism. It's in the nature of motivation. Legalism has to do with, I do this so I can garner God's approval. Discipline, godly discipline is this. I do this because I love God and I want to please him. And the Holy Spirit will help you to do that. You walk in the spirit and not in the lust of the flesh. So to end Galatians 5 and 25 or 24. And we're going to th- cover what we'ven't covered in the coming weeks. To to conclude here 24 and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's the lust, right? The unbridled craving and what is for what is forbidden. And this this speaks to the same thing that Paul is teaching in Romans 6 and Romans 8. You've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. What does it mean to live in the Spirit? It means not to live under the bondage of the law. And thus, if you live in the Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ it should translate to how you walk. If you're living in saving relationship with Jesus, it should manifest itself in walking in the Spirit so that the fruit of the Spirit are manifest outwardly in your life. There's no diff- It's not about what is the difference between living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. It's the same thing. Because I'm under the new covenant, Under Jesus Christ, by grace through faith in him, I'm now in the spirit. I'm living in the spirit. I'm under grace. I'm not under bondage. I'm not under sin anymore. And now I can walk. And he's saying, if you confess to be justified by Jesus alone, if you say Jesus alone and nothing else, then it should be represented in the actions of your life, in your walk. Now, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. And so we see, in conclusion, come come, help me, in conclusion, we see that the Holy Spirit will enable a warfare against our self-indulgent carnality. And furthermore, it gives us discernment regarding what is unworthy. That's the works of the flesh. It gives us discernment as to what is unholy, what is disobedient to God, what is displeasing to him. And I stay away from it. Verses 19 through 21. And furthermore, the Holy Spirit will bring growth and character and readiness to live as one's dead to ourselves but alive to Christ through his cross and resurrection. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. And if we are in Christ, we are in the Spirit and we can walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the privilege and the power we have as children of God. Would you stand with me? I want us to pray. I want us to seek the Lord here for these moments. Lord, let there be a greater understanding. Let there be a work of the Holy Spirit that is happening even now that makes these truths a a real reality in our lives. Not just something in our mind, but something that is a reality of our hearts, something that is a reality of our lifestyle. Lord, it is a supernatural walk that we live as a Christian It is supernatural. We cannot do this in our own power and our own strength. It's by your Spirit. So let there be a complete yielding and submissiveness to the work of your Holy Spirit. And let there be a willingness on our part to submit ourselves daily. To crucify our flesh. To give ourselves over to the things of your word. Things that are pleasing to you. Things that bring you glory. Let that be... the the determination of our hearts here today. God, give us heavenly desires and may the things of this world become so dim that our affections for worldly things would lose its power in our lives. And the only thing we would desire is to please you, to glorify you, to represent you, that the fruit of the Spirit would be manifest in our lives and we would look like Jesus. Make that the testimony of our lives here today, Jesus. And Jesus... Wonderful.